welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, Patrick Egan, and as we always do at this time, let's say a big warm welcome and hello to our co-host, Mr. Dean Robinson. Mr. Egan, how are you, sir? I am well. Well, I'm doing good. We're out here weathering the storm in uh, California. Uh, the wind's been uh, off the chain, howling, as they, as it were. Um, and we'll get into some of that in the end there. I know you've been on the, uh, the search down there in Half Moon Bay working on that. And we are going to talk about that at the end of the podcast because our guest today is time limited. So what we're going to do is we're going to... Um, we're going to bring our guest on, and we'll just start that way. Then we'll mix it up, and at the end, we'll, we'll talk about that search, because I think there's a lot of uh, interesting information to glean out of that. You agree, or are we going to be uh, sitting around? I'm kidding. No, no, no. There's, uh, we, we've learned a wealth, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm intimately familiar with your weather, weather patterns right now, and yikes. Yeah, pretty uh, – it's hard to get anything done when there's no power. You know, you go back to the um, – looking out the window. But anyway, that's a story for later. So without further ado, let's bring on our guest, uh, John Demush. You're the CEA of, uh, CEA, CEO of Iris Automation. Hello, sir. That's correct. Uh, good morning, Patrick. Good morning, Gene. Uh, thanks for having me on. Hey, man. You know, we're here uh, like sponges, and we're ready to learn about uh, what you guys are up to. And uh, I know, you know, there's been a lot going on, and we're going to get into, you know, this, and it ought to be very interesting. But, uh, you know, usually what we do here for the the benefit of uh, the audience, maybe you could uh, give us the high points of your bio and how you found yourself in the, let's say, UAS ecosystem. Yeah, sure. Um, Well, first and foremost, I was that annoying kid at age five that, stood at the window in the airport and started chirping out how many engines every airliner had, how many passengers they carry, what thrust it could produce, et cetera. So I've always been an aviation nut, um, so much so that I was actually flying airplanes before I was driving cars. My father was a 20-year Army veteran, and through his Army benefits, we could use the Aero Club, where I grew up in southern New Jersey at uh, McGuire Air Force Base. So I got my first lesson at age 14 in a Cessna 152, uh, dodging uh, C-141s in the pattern at McGuire, and uh, I was hooked. That was it. So, yeah, it was really fun. Um, but that just kind of drove me academically to, you know, focus on science and math. You know, uh, got into aerospace engineering. That's my undergrad degree. Uh, and then, you know, had a variety of jobs, actually some really fun ones in flight simulation for the general public, uh, location-based entertainment, a place called Fighter Town back in the uh, early and mid nineties, which was amazing. You could come in and dogfight with, uh, 11 of your friends in separate cockpits and, you know, be Top Gun for a day. So, uh, I've had a really interesting journey, but it got me into the software side of things. And fast forward about 10 years, I ended up, uh, taking over a company called 2D3, which was owned by a UK company that was a computer vision business. And yes, we were taking computer vision and putting it in software to allow um, analysts to take aerial imagery and airborne telemetry and turn it into intelligence reports. Um, We ended up uh, growing that business and selling it to Boeing in 2015. 
we were integrated into their subsidiary in situ. Uh, so, so that was really kind of my first foray into the unmanned environment. And it was because our software was integrated into the in situ integrator uh, workflow for full motion video analysis. So when we, you know, put the business up for sale, it was a perfect fit. So uh, then I had several leadership positions inside in situ, stood up their commercial business unit, uh, ended up my career at in situ as the chief growth officer, which encompasses strategy, business development, uh, marketing. Uh, and then I moved into Boeing uh, in Boeing's next group. I was uh, appointed the senior director of new business ventures with the task of really doing the market analysis for future mobility and, and frankly, cutting through the hype to get to the core of, you know, what technology really could and couldn't do, what kind of investment was it going to require, and how should that shape future Boeing investment uh, in the future mobility. So it's a fascinating uh, role. Uh, and, and honestly, at the end of 2018, when I joined Boeing, I, I thought that was, you know, that was going to be my, you know, end stop career because it was just amazing. Like I was in the world's largest aerospace company looking forward 30 years to what aerospace was going to turn into. And, and I was in a prime position to be a big part of that. Then, you know, 737 MAX uh, crashes happened and then COVID happened. And, you know, as a result, Boeing was forced to really curtail investment in all kinds of areas of the business. And, and next was one of those areas. Uh, fortunately for me, Iris was at a point where the company was growing and realizing that even though it's a Silicon Valley-based startup and a venture-backed startup, it's not an app store, right? This is a company that is trying to build an aviation safety system, and it needs to start acting like an aviation company. So uh, the two founders, Alex and James, um, you know, good on them. They recognized they needed to bring in different leadership to help take the company to that next level. And, and I was a part of that push. So I joined Iris in October, and, and here I am. Well, that's good. Now, the 2D3 thing, who are, who are you? Because that sounds very familiar. Who, who are you doing that with? Yeah, I actually think you and I may have met back then. Um, I think we, so. We made one – one acquisition when I was running 2D3, and it was of a company called Sensing Systems, who was run by a fellow named Chad Partridge. Uh, there we go. Met at some yeah. point in the past, too. Yeah, so Chad we acquired was, uh... Sensing, uh, combined the businesses, because they had the under-the-hood uh, video codecs and compression capabilities and libraries, uh, and we had the kind of top-shelf computer vision and, and end-user interface stuff. So we combined those businesses in 2011, and, and frankly, it was the fuel for growth of the business and what led to our successful exit in 2015. Yeah, see, this is a we had, it's kind of a reoccurring thing here at the SUS News Podcast where me and Gene are like, hey, wait a minute, man, I know you. I've met you before. (laughs) And it's like a trip back in the Wayback Machine because that was a long time ago. Yeah, but Chad, yeah, um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's – I was like, wait a minute, this is all familiar now. Yeah, right. And uh, it's funny. But, uh, okay, so anyway, good news because, you know, I I have to tell you that I was having like these – misgivings before this uh, podcast that maybe, you know, you were one of those um, VC fund CEOs that comes in and watches the basket of eggs you know, after we've pumped our money in there. And you don't know uh, Shinola from uh, a drone from, uh, you know. So, okay. Whew. Dodge that bullet. Um, you know, because you know what you're doing. This is great. That's good news. 
because uh, there's a lot of times, you know, you, you, uh, you're like, uh-oh. So uh, that's good. You know what you're talking about. And that's what we like to bring yeah. here to the audience is uh, people that actually awesome. know what they're talking about. So you're going to have to go. No, I'm kidding. Okay. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's dive right into this because this is uh, what, what you guys are selling is, is, is really the future. So let's first, before we dull or dive into that for the audience, what is, what, what do you, you know, what's your elevator? What does Iris automation do? Yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. We are a computer vision and AI software company that is focused on building capabilities to help detect uh, other aircraft in the air around your own ship. So we, we exist basically to help people avoid collisions. Um, our start is focused on the unpiloted community because, you know, the, the broad application and usage of drones is absolutely held back by the fact that nobody can fly BV loss. And I think it's interesting, Patrick, you know, I kind of hate the acronym BV loss mm-hmm. because it implies that the mission is flying far. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, no, there's certainly yeah. use cases where flying far is important, right? Like long linear inspection and things like that. But um, I would argue that potentially more economic value is unlocked when you can flip the operator to aircraft ratio for unpiloted systems. And today, you know, we're, Honestly, we're mo- the ratio right now is greater than one on the operator side to one on the aircraft side. And we've got to invert that for, for mm-hmm. drones to really deliver on their economic promise, right? We've got to get to a one-to-many operational scenario or a zero-to-many where drones are basically airborne appliances that are doing their job. And, you know, I envision a future where it's not a, a drone pilot or a drone operator but an infrastructure manager who is doing other things and has a dashboard that represents the infrastructure they're managing with, you know, red light, green light, yellow light indicators that are being fed data from airborne appliances that are doing their job. So it's really that operator aircraft ratio that's interesting to me. And what we're focused on at IRIS is, is developing the kind of situational awareness capability that allows the aircraft to detect and avoid potential collisions in the air. Hmm. Now, yeah, there's a lot to unpack right there because uh, I, I think what we're seeing, you know, I've been, <clears throat> let's say, uh, uh, how do we put this delicately? Critic of uh, some of the, <laughs> let's say, integration <laughs> efforts and let's say establishing a baseline for, you know, detect and avoid and, beyond visual line of sight and all the rest of that. Yep. There's a lot of nuances and uh, facets there. Yep. Uh, you know, and, and I agree with you. Uh, I mean, there, there's some stuff now like, you know, um, certain inspections or whatever. Yes, you may lose sight of it. You know, you're under a bridge, whatever. Is that navigable airspace? No, you know, yada, yada. We can argue right. all these different points. Now, what we're seeing in the industry is, uh, and, and what I keep hearing, is the current model for the small UAS community and I'm even going to go for the European 150 kilo small um, is uh, consolidation. And people are saying, Hey, look, you know, this, this model is unsustainable, which I agree with. And uh, people say, okay, well, what's going to happen when we get to beyond visual line of sight? You know, can you tell us what the numbers are, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I look, I don't have a crystal ball. I'll tell you this. 
uh, I do not believe that the industry can support itself in the visual line of sight uh, operational envelope. Not all the research, mm-hmm. the infrastructure, the standards, the uh, certification, the hardware and software innovation that needs to be done, just not here. So it, yeah. it, it's something that, uh, it, like you said, it's not just a long linear. It's, it is like we, we got to get it together uh, here and right. now. And if we don't, yep. then I think you're going to uh, have some big problems. And, and as we go on to this air, airworthiness certification, people, uh, I don't think they get what that's going to cost. Um, and uh, what that I, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, you know, yep. you got to keep your aircraft. Uh, just the paperwork is enough to drive you insane. Uh, mm-hmm. let alone, you know, complying. And, you know, the snapshot in time of those hardware and software, there's there's a lot to unpack there. So, you know, one of the big uh, things that I've been banging on the drum probably uh, longer than, uh, you know, the, the 2D3 history thing is for the FAA to establish a baseline for this, the, the visual acuity or uh, uh, for this beyond visual line of sight. So how how is that working mm-hmm. for you guys? What do you guys, are you... Yeah, how, how are you establishing that internally? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think uh, I think you've just hit the nail on the head, Patrick. With this, this is where we spend our time today. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, and you've seen this across the entire drone ecosystem. You know, the technology has has basically outpaced the regulatory environment, um, and you know, that's frankly kind of amazing, especially for someone like me who's been in aviation my whole career. You know, this kind of like technical advancement, it hasn't really happened in aviation. Um, and I've spent a lot of time in general aviation cockpits. And, you know, the first GPS didn't show up in a GA cockpit until the mid-90s. <laughs> right? And, and, you know, <laughs> and so things have been just traditionally very, very slow. And now all of a sudden, you know, people can build airplanes in their garage, and, you know, computers are small, controllers are small, motors are small, batteries are available. It's like, it's super exciting. So it's not surprising to me that technology now has outstripped uh, the regulatory environment. And, and frankly, that's probably the way it should be um, from a safety perspective. What um, I will say about, you know, what we do around that baseline is, let me back up a step. I think a lot of, especially in the DAA space, um, a lot of the startups have had a mentality of, oh, it's, it's winner take all. Like we're, and they've kind of positioned themselves to say, no, 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 we're the only system you need. Well, mm-hmm. as a pilot, right, and as an aerospace engineer, um, I, all I have to do is look at the current piloted aviation community. There is no one system that does it all. There never has been, and there probably never will be. The point is you, you create a safe environment with layers of mitigations because those layers complement each other. And, you know, I in the cockpit, right, like a Cessna 172, for example, is not type certified with a DAA system on board. (laughs) It's type certified because the aircraft is airworthy and the manufacturer knows how it's going to succeed, how it's going to fail, and what the mitigations are around that. And the FAA says, okay, great, yep, that airplane's airworthy. The DAA system's the pilot. Mm-hmm. Well, the pilot in that set of layered mitigations is actually not the most effective piece of the puzzle. It's the least effective piece of the puzzle. Right? Like, we're we're, we're kind of terrible at it. 
we're kind of terrible at it. You know, we, we're distracted. We're doing other things. We're playing with our new GPS. You know, the family's <laughs> in the back asking you questions about what that thing is on the ground. So, you know, our division of attention is already challenged. Um, and then you, you know, get into visual acuity and cockpit occlusion and all of those things. And, but it's the accepted safe standard, but not as a separation standard, right? This is the important bit. Part 91.113 says the pilot shall see and avoid other aircraft. There's no distance in there. Um, it's a last line of defense. That's what the human is. Keep you from trading paint with another airplane. And, yes. you know, when I think about where we need to start in the drone business around protecting against collisions, it's got to be there. And that's really what Iris is trying to do right now is become the analog for the last line of defense. We know we're probably never going to be the sole mitigation. And that's okay because right. the business is going to be big enough for all of us to play. So well, that's true. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, so you were going through that. And while you were going through that, you probably heard all that clicking in the background that I was looking for. And you have uh, been long, around long enough that you probably remember this. It's the AC90-48C. And it's the, uh, you remember that? It's a, it was called a, a radar for all seasons. Look alive and live. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was yeah. basically, uh, it was a two-page AC. And you printed it out and you hung it on the wall. I think it was 10 feet or 12 feet away. I only have one page of it and it had little uh, shadows of the aircraft. And, you know, here's one at 10 miles closing at 600 or 500 knots, you know, the spec. Yep. Up there yep. So, you know, I, I remember bringing this to the attention of the FAA, you know, saying, Hey, we need the visual acuity. Oh, well, no, no, this exists. Yeah, nobody knows. And I'm like, Oh, contraire. Have you heard of AC 90 dash 48 C? And they were like, well, no. And, so you pull that out, and you, is this where we're starting? And they've since retired that. <laughs> but uh, so you know, my thing with it is, so, you know, you're talk, kind of talking about that, but it's like if you don't have a baseline to start off from, if you don't say, okay, well, but I, I really the Mark One eyeball is not very good at uh, the detect or see and avoid uh, thing, and like you said, there are distractions in the cockpit. If you're lucky enough to have one of those uh, those G1000s with the glass cockpit and there's red lights flashing, which usually means bad things, <laughs> you get distracted, yeah. man. It's hard to look out for. Uh, uh, you know, the only time I was piloting a plane was over there at, in near Half Moon Bay in the uh, the Bay Area, and there's a little bit of traffic down there, and I couldn't see everybody. Oh yeah, I would say with all the radio traffic, a hot dog stand would have cleaned up up there. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Not very relaxing. But uh, anyway, so yeah, you got to have this baseline. Say, okay, well, here's the baseline, and now you guys go out there and start developing solutions. So, you know, I, I, for for me, if I was in your shoes as the CEO of this company, I'd be uh, frustrated because I'd be saying to myself, okay, hey, I think this is great, or we believe this is great. We've looked, and this is, you know, where we're we're uh, working for, and this is what our sensors do, and yada, yada, yada. And yeah. I would be, let's say, I'd be a little nervous because, you know, the FA is that, uh, you know, there's that old analogy about bring us the rock. And uh, now that's not the rock we're looking for. We're looking for something with a, a little bit more of a rounded edge. So, you know, tell us, tell us about that in the journey. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it, it it is there. There are challenges there for sure. Um, 
the way I look at it, and this kind of is, is what emboldened me to, to take this leap and come over to Iris uh, and leave Boeing, is that it, we do have a chance to help solve this problem. And from a computer vision perspective, we're the world leader in this capability. So it, it, it wouldn't be... It wouldn't help anybody if we got, um, you know, frustrated and, and walked away from the problem. Um, we got to stay in it. So we do spend a lot of time collaborating with uh, the ASTM community, the various standards bodies. Um, you know that this is a hard problem, and they're doing their best to try to come up with that baseline. The challenge that they have is. By default, they have to take the uh, extreme conservative approach to the problem. And, you know, as a startup CEO who, you know, yes, I am, you know, altruistically motivated to make flying safer. Like, that's why I'm here. But I'm also here to build a business. So the, the challenge point is the fact that the two timelines are, you know, not congruent. Industry always wants to move faster. And there's no incentive on the standards body or the regulator side. Time isn't their primary goal in their charter. Safety is. So, so I think, you know, it's continuing to collaborate in those environments and, and frankly, go out and do stuff. Because there's nothing better than going and trying something in the field, gathering real data, and then using real data to bounce against the theoretical models. And, and that's where we do start to see positive movement you know, around things like definition of well clear, definition of NMAC, um, you know, considering the type of air vehicle that's being flown and the environment that's being flown in. And I think, you know, we have seen some, some progress in the regulatory environment, specifically around performance-based approaches that are encouraging. Again, like you said, I'd always love it to go faster, but at the same time, I'm empathetic. And, you know, maybe that's the flight instructor in me coming out because, you know, I, I'm, I'm on both sides of this coin, right? <laughs> well, you know, the way you put it, it's like, man, you know, I, uh, listening to you here, I, I could pick up some tips on uh, – good thing this is a family show because uh, I, I have other description of the process that uh, may not be so good. Uh, no, you know, uh, it is good, the standard thing, and i got to do a story about this because, uh, you know, we – Gene and myself are have have been part of the ASTM thing since kickoff, man. And uh, remember that, Gene? Many years uh, ago. When you, you say that tongue in cheek, when you say that we have been a part of it, but yes, I remember that kickoff very well. <laughs> yes, I remember my uh, leaving the standards group work, uh, yelling in a parking lot at a waffle stop somewhere in the south. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, that's a story for another time. The, um, and I, I got to do a story about the standards thing. Cause it's really, it's starting to get a little out of whack. And, and just for both of you, you know, all of the different standards work that's going on, uh, around the world. I just heard a statistic the other day. Does anyone want to take a crack at how many standards for drones have, have been, uh, let's say published by all the various groups. Anyone want to take a guess? Mm-hmm. Eight. I don't know that number. What was your guess, Gene? Eight. No, how about 700? <laughs> and uh, anyone want to take a crack or a guess at how many have been adopted by any civil aviation authorities around the world? Zero. Oh, come on. Look at this guy. So, you know, you're such a downer, <laughs> Gene. One. 
and it was a battery standard, I believe, in uh, the uh, Civil Aviation Authority of Brazil. So we're burning up the sky, man. It's, it's happening. Um, anyway, and that's why I, say, I had to say before that this is a family show, and uh, I was going to give all of my uh, feelings on the effort. <clears throat> but anyway, that's a, that's another story for another time. So here we are. You know, I want to fast forward to Reno, and we're almost out of time because I know you got to go. I was there. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, there was a lot of work going on. And I know, you know, it was a lot of good effort by people showed up. They had systems. They had different hardware, software solutions and everything else. And they went along and, and uh, they pitched in and they tried to make this happen. And I know PK over it, you know, NASA is, is hurting the cats. And sometimes I don't know if I'm a helper hater instead. Like I'd, sometimes I think I'm a little bird of the saddle. Other times <laughs> maybe I'm I'm helpful. Um, you know, but look, go ahead and, and you know I, you know tell tell us what you you thought about that. I know you know you guys were there. I don't think you were there personally, but would you like to discuss yeah. that uh, UTM? Yeah, that that's true. I I was not there personally uh, at the time. I was at Boeing, um, so I was aware of of you know the TCL efforts and and Reno. You know, Iris's role in that, as you know, reported to me by my team, was we were really a vendor to the participants. We weren't a direct participant, i.e. we weren't invited to the front row seats, uh, which is fine. Um, I don't think we really had a very big role at all. Uh, a couple of the aircraft vendors integrated our system on board. Um, I don't think that the system ever triggered because I don't think there was ever any um, non-cooperative traffic in the area. So yeah, it was kind of like, oh, hey, thanks. Thanks for letting us play. Great. Um, what I will say about those kind of efforts, though, is um, I'll just give you the kind of startup CEO perspective. You know, as a startup company, we never have enough resources ever, right? So we always try to be really, really careful about where we dedicate resources. And when it comes to collaborating with other companies, unless there's a very discreet business opportunity that we're both chasing and get mutual benefit out of, it becomes really hard to dedicate resources to those kinds of partnerships. So when an event like that happens, that does look like an interesting opportunity to start up companies that could bear some fruit because it's, it's an environment that kind of encourages and in some ways, you know, promotes that kind of integration and collaboration and partnership. So in spirit, like I kind of like those, those are, those are great because it gives me an excuse to say, cool, we can go force an integration with, you know, ABC drone company and connect to, you know, XYZ UTM company. And that'll be a great environment to do that because you got NASA and FAA looking over your shoulder. So in theory, that kind of works. I think, the challenge of actually making those things work is it literally just comes down to like program management, project management. And that's not easy. Um, especially when everybody's there with their own different agendas. And, um, so I, I can't really speak much to, to what happened in Reno specifically. Um, so my comments, you know, like you just heard are, are more generically around those types of, you know, kind of trial programs. Um, you know, I, back in the 2d three days, we were part of, of one that, frankly, I think was incredibly successful. Um, and it was, it was on the defense side, and it was held at Camp Roberts, and they used to be called the TNT Experiments. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure what they've morphed into now, but it's a collaboration between Naval Postgrad School, SOCOM, uh, and the Camp Roberts range there. And they invite industry to come run experiments. 
You right. know, now a startup CEO, uh, I translate experiment equals demo. <laughs> right, right. right. It's really, uh, really uh, a chance for me to get my tech out there in front of people who ultimately I want to be customers. But they're very disciplined about not letting you sell. Like you're not supposed to go there and sell. Don't come here with banners. Don't come here with flyers. Come here with your techs. Come here with your computers and go try to solve a problem. And it was an amazing environment um, that really forced integration, but in conjunction with a real use case. And that was the difference, right? There was a mission that was trying to be accomplished. And if you had a piece of technology that could help, you were invited to come participate. And it didn't matter if you worked or not, right? It was, I thought that was a really well well, well done one. Um, I am, you know, optimistic and hopeful that uh, beyond can be similar for us. You know, we're the, we're the lead industry participant underneath the city of Reno for the, for the Reno part of beyond. We're a supporting participant slash, you know, vendor for a number of the other beyond sites. Um, and, you know, I, I'm looking at our beyond program with Reno as a really key program for our business because it's going to allow us to go attack a use case and actually do it for real. Yes, we have to fund it, so it's not a great, you know, money-making thing for me. That's, that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because, it goes back to my earlier point, you got to get out there and do this stuff. And right. if that's the environment that allows me to go do it and collect the empirical data to then go back to the standards communities and, and maybe inform something like the low-altitude airspace model with real data, then that's good. That's kind of advancing the the state of the industry. So that is yeah. my you know somewhat long-winded answer to your very short question, Patrick. Yeah, well, you know, I was supposed to. You guys were going to do another demo up there in Reno, and before, um, well, before COVID kicked in, and then it kicked in, and it was canceled, which is too bad because I was looking forward to that. But the other thing that did happen in Reno. <clears throat> Is uh, there were uh, there was a non-cooperative aircraft and there was also one in Corpus Christi, and I think you know I I was kind of like hey man wait a minute here something happened and I think people thought I was critical of NASA but I wasn't really critical of NASA so much as there was a helicopter that invaded the the airspace and non-cooperative and, and uh, the thing what for me was it's like hey man uh, you know. Um, this was on national news. It was on local news. They had people on the ground. There was yellow taped off. There was, you know, there's, I don't understand how somebody missed this. And so what happened was, is you had a system where, you know, there was uh, there was a no tamp filed and all the rest of that. And we had a certified aircraft and a cert- certificated pilot. And they, um, let's say, non cooperatively got into the airspace. So to me, and I think what people missed was is a the certified system broke down and what really needed to be done is, is that needed to be looked at. Cause I think that the, the, the drone community did everything in their power to say, Hey, we're here, man, you know, uh, including this, the national news and everything else. And it was just kind of glossed over. So um, in both cases, I think really the FAA should have looked at that and what happened and, you know, and I think it, it kind of takes a, a little bit of the, the onus off of us, you know, as the unmanned community saying we did everything we possibly could besides shoot flares or something, uh, which wouldn't be practical. Uh, and, and the system, the, the, let's say, accepted system failed, you know, so why? And, and let's take a look at that. 
Um, but anyway, that's that's my own opinion on that one. We have run past your time. Do you have, do you have to go, or do you want to stick <laughs> around and hear what Gene's doing? <laughs> I, I I would love to hear what Gene's doing, but I do have to go. Um, I I tell you what, Patrick, we could riff on that last topic uh, again. Uh, well, I, <laughs> well yeah, you know, we I, can always have some, you back in the future. Uh, you know, well, are you maybe we should do, do that. When when are you going to do? Uh, you guys have do you, do you have a uh, any timeline for another demonstration up there in Reno that I could attend? Oh yeah, I mean, well, COVID permitting, um, our program plan has us flying uh, in the second half of twenty one. Um, okay. So yeah, absolutely, and and you know we fly just about daily um, in our flight test program. We actually have a flight ops team, and we have our own Piper Cub that we fly as an intruder, and we've probably flown more intruders than just about anybody in the world uh, in this case. So we do fly on a regular basis. Um, you know, tell me when you're uh, you're ready to come out of your COVID bubble, and uh, okay. you know we'll invite you out, and you can come see a test day and just see how the team operates, and and you know. How the stuff right. works. We're happy to host you. Yeah, I'd like to see that, and uh, you know, because I'm a, you know, I like to give things the old sniff test, and then we'll have to have you back sure. on. And I'd like to talk more about that. I, you know, I really think that that was uh, that uh, those events at uh, Reno and Corpus Christi were really, let's say, a missed opportunity. Um, let's say by the drone community to say, uh, uh, wait a minute, you were talking about this equivalent level of safety and yada yada. You know, what? Scratching my head over here. What the hell happened? But anyway, yeah. we'll talk more about that. Thanks for coming on. Oh, one last thing is uh, where uh, listeners can go to learn more about Iris Automation. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's, it's irisonboard.com. All one word. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much for being on, and uh, we'll be in touch Patrick, here in the future. Thank you. Gene, thanks. Good to <laughs> talk to you again. Um, take care, you Bet. guys. Stay safe. Stay safe. Be yeah. safe. Well, that was an interesting conversation, and we have a, uh, you know, every every one of these, it's like the onion, you know, you kind of peel the the, the paper off of the onion, and then you get in about halfway, and the the party's over. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> well, that's how that was that a pretty amazing out. conversation, though. I liked it, and and as an aviator, and uh, you know, being as entrenched as we are in the drone industry, I, you know, I just sitting there listening, you know, saying, <laughs> going, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Well, you know, there's a few reoccurring themes here on the uh, podcast, and one of them is, is, and he said it was, is, you know, oh, it's out in the field, you know, or that's where the, and what do we always say? The, the, where the rubber meets the road. Exactly. So that segues right into what's going on here in Central California in um, Half Moon Bay, and for people that haven't uh seen it in the news there's a, a missing person thing and i'll let you describe this team yeah this is uh one of those very unfortunate things that uh apparently is uh not an uncommon occurrence out there in half moon bay uh, or around that area of course you know you have the big surf spots like mavericks and things that in the winter time go off and apparently um this uh, young boy, 12 years old, was uh, caught by a rogue wave and uh, swept out to sea, uh, unfortunately. And uh, we have been working, you know, uh, I say we, I, I've been in kind of a virtual environment. There, there is a, a, a army of individuals there on the ground in Half Moon Bay and in, in South that are working extremely hard to try to find this young man. And uh, his name is uh, RNA Pruthi. 
and uh, his uh, his father and uh, I believe it was a sibling uh, were in the same wave and they managed to escape and uh, it has devastated the family as is you know to be expected and uh, we are bringing every piece of technology that we can bring to bear on this where we've been using locate extensively and um, we've been finding all sorts of stuff that uh, is unrelated, but it's uh, it has proven that the technology is working. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue to do that. I, I think um, um, not today because you're, you guys are – like I said, I've been keeping up with y'all's weather pretty closely. And uh, when the winter storm hit, we knew that uh, things were going to be shut down for, you know, at least a few days potentially until tomorrow. I know that the forecast today is for rain and wind. So that's going to ground all our flights. And uh, uh, we are supposedly going to fly a phase one camera. I don't know if you've heard of those guys, Um, but it's a hundred megapixel imager. And uh, it's, uh, it's small enough to put in a drone. However, we're going to be putting it uh, on a 172, I do believe you know, my favorite aircraft. And, um, and uh, we're going to go out there and, and fly it. Uh, it's, uh, we're currently expanded the search to include uh, 20 miles of the coastline. And um, I, I have been, you know, years ago with uh, the, the Scripps folks out there, you know, in San Diego State University and uh, SDSU and, and uh, um, down there with Scripps. Um, those guys have, you know, fed me the, the current models that they, they keep, and we're trying to do this as smart as we can, but, uh, you know, still no luck. And, uh, gosh, it's, uh, it's not for lack of trying. No. Uh, the weather out here has been absolutely nuts. I know we talked the other day. There was talk about maybe bringing you out because I'm sure doing it remotely is, is – is you know, I think some of you guys are like, oh, you can do the Internet and telephone. It's just not the same you know, uh, trying to do things remotely. It's, it's hard. It is. And, uh, you know, we've been doing it via internet and, uh, I've been, my, my liaison there is, uh, uh you may know him, Paul Spar. Uh, mm-hmm. he's got his own business with the Spar group. And, and I got to tell you, he's a GIS guy and, uh, he's, he's pretty sharp and he really knows he has done an outstanding job of coordinating the tech there. Um, I can say that uh, he set up a computer, his personal computer for me, and uh, it's a GIS powerhouse. And uh, basically, I've been remoting in and operating the, the, the Locate MDAS software, which is the latest software that we're using that has the, uh, uh, the, the dynamic search algorithm in it. And uh, it has just been exceptional to, to run over the internet and to get that sort of analysis done. Uh, but we've done it and it's worked and we've taken, you know, all the imagery that they've had. We did uh, yesterday, we did uh, like 3000 images, 2,500 images and uh, ran them through the software. And uh, it was just incredible, you know, being able to pick out targets very quickly, you know, where I was using my, my term always is, you know, using the Mark one standard issue eyeball, and uh, you know, in minutes, and uh, we're we're uh, we're hopeful that you know, as we keep doing this, we'll be able to bring some closure to the family. I mean, 
it's it's uh, it's unfortunate this uh, this number many number of days that uh, have gone by and uh, you know we still don't have any results but uh, right. I mean that's kind of the nature of of the business that we're in, I'm in anyway uh, you know I've got several unresolved cases right here on dry land that you know I, I would swear you know the aliens came down and abducted them and they disappeared because there's just no clue and right, uh, right. you know that's that's uh that's what that's what we're up against and you know i get calls every day for it and uh yeah. you know we're we're going to continue working this one yeah i also our uh, good buddy uh Werner von stein has has been on that i've been hearing from him too for the boots on the ground uh and it's yes. a big effort yes, and you got a lot of people course. out there a lot of people out there right there is a ton of people out there and like i said it's not for you know want of trying because they've been out there busting their buns walking the beaches um sea valor is uh also out there now that's another uh a group that uh they they are a search group that deals in marine rescues and that sort of thing so you know their their technical expertise obviously is well needed but uh, you know, it's it's uh, there's a like I said, there's an army of people out there trying to trying to bring a, a close to this one. Yeah, it's uh, it's always tragic, uh, you know, especially if it's a young person. But uh, not always, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. But uh, I know you guys have been trying. I'm sure that the weather's uh, you know played into this one. It's usually, uh, even in the summer, it's cold and windy out there. Um, it is. <laughs> it is. Fifty-two yeah. degree water, man. That's that's rough. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's cold, and even there's people that surf and stuff. I mean, you know, or even scuba diving, or it's it's cold, and uh, the uh, visibility is not usually so good. So I don't envy all the people out there doing that. That's uh, that's I'm sure tough, and especially these days. And we're having other issues too with power outages and everything else around the. Uh, in the area because of the wind bringing trees down. It's just a mess. But, uh, you know, we'll have to follow up on that. We still have to follow up on the, the locate software. There's so much stuff to follow up on, man. It's, uh, I know. It's, it's really getting crazy the way things are developing. It is. And, uh, you know, like, and then what I alluded to with the standard thing, man, I, I got to do an article about that. That it's, They got to stop the madness. You know, 700, man. So, you know, we've known this has gone on since 2005 or even earlier, I think, with RTCA. You know, yes. 700 standards, man, and uh, FAA has adopted NADA. That is not, I mean, that's just not cool. You know, any way you dice it up, I mean, that basically, t- I mean, that, that has to represent, I, I'm going to go out on, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of, of, of uh person hours billable from all of these different countries, if not billions. Some of these guys make a lot of money, you know. Uh, Just in the sheer number of standards that that they've you know, that has been produced, you know, you would think that there would be at least parts of them other than a battery standard that was, you know, in Brazil, you would think that there would be something that would be good enough to use for something. Sure. There has to be. I just I can't sit here and be you know think fair mindedly that there are 700 standards that 699 of them are, are or even 700 if you wanted to say from the FAA's perspective are unusable. That to me is just a, a slap in the face 
to an industry that has been over backwards uh, to, to, you know, bring us data, safety of the NAS, all the rest of the, the platitudes, um, yeah. that, that body of work represents, uh, I would call it more than the old college drive. I, I would, that's a Herculean, I don't even think there, I, you know, I gotta go back and ask how many standards there are for LSA. I bet you there's not, I, I doubt there's 700 and they're letting them fly, uh, those cracker boxes, but that's another story. Uh, anyway, we're getting uh, down on the, uh, the <laughs> clock here. Last 30 seconds. Yep. Anything in closing, Gene? Uh, keep us in your thoughts and prayers, and uh, hopefully we can uh, keep improving to where we can bring closure to these things quickly. And uh, But more importantly, keep the family in your thoughts and prayers because, you know, they're they're suffering at this point. I concur with that, and it's a noble goal. Thank you, sir, for all your efforts, and thank everybody out there. And that's it for today, so we'll talk again soon. Have a good week, Gene. See you.